on any given Lord's Day, as you enter this building, several people will likely greet you at the door. Usually, someone will open the door for you. And as you walk in, there's going to almost be a welcoming committee for you in the foyer. Well, just suppose as you entered this building some Lord's Day, Dale opened the door for you, and as you walked in, Dale looked at you, and he said, Well, good morning, preacher. I think that probably most of you would look at him somewhat quizzically and think that, well, poor Dale, he finally lost it. And there's been some kind of a mistake. Because you see, in our day and time, to most of us, the preacher has become someone who has his piece to say each week. Bob Pate says that all preachers are programmed that they're going to talk a certain number of minutes every week. And you don't want to deprive them of those minutes because they're just going to take them back from you at some other point. And that's the way we are. We think that the preacher is someone that's got his piece to say. And by saying his piece for a few minutes every Sunday and on Wednesday nights and in Bible class, by getting his piece said, he's supposed to communicate religion, or at least communicate religious ideas to a congregation of people. And so as a result of that concept, a good many interesting things have been said over the years by some so-called witty people. For example, I heard someone say the definition of a preacher is a meek person who on Sunday exhorts a sheep-like group of people to become more docile. And then if you look at it from a more material point of view, it's like the man who, when the cost of living was rising and this man was in a grocery store, this particular incident happened, and it conveys certain ideas that people had about, have about the ministry. This man's standing there, and he's getting ready to pay for his groceries. And as he sees the total increase and increase, and it goes up and goes up, and he's heard as he sees that total climb, he murmurs to himself, you know, if things get any worse, I'm going to go back to preaching. I've done it before, and I ain't too good to do it again if I have to to feed my family. Folks, the idea of a preacher... As someone who, after formal training, is set aside to say a few carefully prepared words on Sunday, that's not the idea the early church had at all. If you look carefully at the New Testament, you'll see in the New Testament that Jesus was a great preacher. But have you ever studied, have you ever really studied the New Testament? to look at the sermons of Jesus. One day Jesus preached to a group of people sitting on the side of a mountain. He was talking to them about the things of eternity. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. We also know that Jesus preached in His hometown of Nazareth. You recall what happened in Nazareth that day after He finished his sermon, 
Go home and read it. It's all recorded in the fourth division of the gospel according to Luke. The people were so enraged that they wanted to take his life. They actually thought that it would be a good idea after the sermon to throw Jesus headlong over a cliff. I think I've met their descendants somewhere along the way. You see, Jesus did a great deal of organized, He he did a great deal of preaching. But even though Jesus did a great deal of preaching, He did not do a great deal of organized, prepared talking to large groups of people. Most of the preaching Jesus did was to individuals or very, very, very small groups of people. There was one day He preached a beautiful sermon. It was noontime. And He was sitting on a well curb outside the village of Sychar. And there He unfolded the mysteries of God's spirituality to a vast audience of one woman who was sitting there. He told that woman that day a secret of divine mystery. He told her something that according to the New Testament, He never said on another occasion. He told this single listener that day, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Or can you see Jesus by an eye of faith out under the stars one night? It's recorded in John chapter 3. He pours out the truth about conversion to one man. A ruler of the Jews by the name of Nicodemus who had come at night to see Jesus. And Jesus told Nicodemus, He said, you must be born again. And Jesus went on that night to explain to Nicodemus the miracle of the indwelling power of God. He told Nicodemus that night how God, God can actually change a man. He told Nicodemus how God can transform an individual from one who's egotistic and self-centered and concerned about the things of this earth to one whose life is centered in the will of God. And then, do you remember that time in John chapter 11 where it's recorded for us that Jesus talked about the resurrection? He said there, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Have you ever wondered why Jesus preached that sermon? He was talking to one woman. A woman by the name of Martha outside the grave of her brother Lazarus. Think about that. The most beautiful utterance Jesus ever gave on immortality. He preached it to one person. Jesus was a great Bible teacher. He unfolded the truth in the Old Testament to the edification of His hearers on one occasion. And their hearts were so wonderfully warm that they seemed to 
enter into a new world. And yet there were only two men present that day. Just Cleopas and his companion as they walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You see, when you think about it, Jesus confined His preaching almost totally to individuals and small groups. And then when Jesus preached, what did He talk about? He talked about wise and foolish people building houses. And He compared them to those who heard His words and were either obedient or disobedient. He talked about a woman going in and putting a little bit of leaven in a pan of meal. He talked about a sheep that got lost out of a flock of a hundred. He told a story about a woman who lost a coin. He related an incident one time about a young man that ran away from home. You see... Jesus' preaching was done so that the people looked about them at the common things of life and saw through them into the glory and purpose and love of an eternal God. Is it any wonder that after they could no longer see Jesus in the flesh, that those disciples and those apostles that had known Him and loved Him, those early Christians, they went out to preach. Though they could not see Him with their eyes, they knew. Jesus was in their hearts. Acts 8 tells us that because of the persecution... They were all scattered abroad. The persecutors had come and dragged out those early Christians. They'd taken them to jail. They'd stoned them. And because of the persecutions, they'd been scattered to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Dr. Luke says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. There was a hitchhiking deacon by the name of Philip that we read about over in Acts chapter 8. He preached a sermon one day to one man riding along in a chariot. And he was a very important man. He was a cabinet officer, a member of the cabinet of the Queen of Ethiopia. He was in charge of her treasury. He was the Secretary of Treasury of Ethiopia. And it tells us in Acts chapter 8 that as Philip rode along in the chariot with that Ethiopian cabinet member. He preached Jesus to him. And then you remember Paul? The one that held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen, one of the great persecutors of the early church? Well, he became a great apostle and a great preacher. And if you really look at Paul's preaching you get the impression and you reach the conclusion that Paul might not have been the greatest that there was at preaching to a large audience. Paul once 
preached a sermon that was so long and so dry that a young man went to sleep, sound asleep, sitting in a window. He not only fell asleep, he fell from the window and died. Some people said that's why they started building churches with the auditorium on the ground floor. Paul went to Athens, the seat of culture of the world of that day. And there on Mars Hill, there at the Areopagus, Paul stood and he unfolded the plan of salvation. He unfolded the story of Jesus. And he did it with eloquence. And he did it with logic. And the results were abysmal. Paul's greatest asset as a preacher was the way he won over individuals and small groups of people. He was in the city of Philippi and he looked for a synagogue. And there wasn't one, but there was a place of prayer down by the river. And so down by the river from Philippi, Paul met a woman by, Lydia, by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple, a wealthy merchant woman, and, and her servants, her household, her employees. And Paul had prayer with him, and Paul and his company preached to him. And Dr. Luke says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to be attentive to the things that Paul had spoken, and she and her whole household were baptized. And then in Philippi, that young girl is following around, that soothsaying young girl. These are men of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. And she worried Paul so badly that Paul turned around and cast the spirit from her and the people that owned her and had made money off of her soothsaying. They got so angry, they had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into prison. And there in prison that night at midnight, Paul and Silas, with their bruised and bleeding bodies, are praying and singing praises to God, and the prison house is open. And they take that jailer and they preach Jesus to that jailer and his household, and they're all baptized. So out of Paul's preaching with Lydia and that jailer in Philippi, there came a great church in Philippi in the first century. So that begs the question, in any congregation, whether it's a congregation of 50 people or a congregation of 1,500 people or 2,500 people. Who are the real preachers in any congregation? It's not the staff. And you can go online and I can show you congregations that have 1,500, 2,000 members and they've got a staff of 50 and 60 people. But it doesn't matter whether it's a staff of one or a staff of 50. The real preachers in any congregation of God's people are the ones who are sitting in the pews. Because it's the Christian in the pew that interprets Jesus in convincing and winning terms to the world around them. Whether they're eight years old or ninety-eight years old, it's the Christians in the pews who are the preachers of the Word of God. 
They're the stewards of the divine mysteries of Jesus Christ. And right now, some of you are thinking, I I don't know anything about theology. I never went to Bible college. I'm not a great Bible student. Well, let's look at that another way, okay? You're not a great strategist in military affairs either. But I bet that hasn't stopped you sitting around and talking with folks about how the generals ought to be running the wars that we're in all over everywhere. I bet that hasn't stopped you from second-guessing decisions that were made in Iraq or Afghanistan or that are being made in Syria even as we speak today. It hasn't kept you from weighing in on that. I would venture to go even a step further and say that there is not anyone in this audience this morning who would be an expert economist. But that hasn't kept you from talking about the high prices and taxes and telling everyone why gasoline's so high. And it doesn't keep you from expressing your opinion of how you think the economy is either. Okay, let's get personal with it now, okay? We're going to get really personal. I'd like to see the hands of everyone in this auditorium who either currently owns or has at some times owned an NFL franchise. Hadn't kept you from talking about how Jerry Jones ought to run the Cowboys, though, has it? You see, it doesn't keep us from all those things. So why does it keep us from telling others about Jesus Christ? Why does it keep us? Why are we so... We're not afraid to share our military opinions. We're not afraid to share our opinion on economics. We're sure not afraid to tell people how the Cowboys or the Astros or the Rangers ought to be run. Why in the name of Israel's God are we so afraid to tell our friends about Jesus? But here's the question. What kind of preaching do we do? Certainly one part of it is the talking that folks do seven days a week. But once upon a time, the devil had a splendid idea. And the devil put this splendid idea in people's minds. And the idea was, you don't ever want to talk about religion. Why not? Well, because if you talk about religion, it could bring about controversy. And it could bring about separation. But folks, when we talk about the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life-changing power of Jesus communicates faith and hope and love to those around us. But our preaching is not just by what we say. Our preaching is by what we do. People cannot be legislated into goodness. 
People cannot be exhorted into goodness and people cannot be forced into goodness. People can only be allured into goodness. What is the one thing that most strengthens our faith in true religion? Is it not when we see someone whose soul is possessed with patience and with peace? When we see someone whose attitude is characterized by tolerance and magnanimity? When we see one whose life is filled with love and what they do is in harmony with their convictions and they try their best to do what's right toward their fellow man? We need to exemplify Jesus Christ in the lives that we live every day. Are you listening? More folks have been driven away from Jesus Christ by a rude caricature of what religion is than have ever been driven to the devil by atheism and the temptations of the flesh. The most winning gospel appeal is the allurement of an attractive example of Christianity. The most winning gospel appeal is when we in our lives, exemplify the life of Jesus. This next statement is on the final exam. The words and the actions of the pew are more powerful than the pulpit. The life of a Christian carries far more convincing power to the individual life than anything that can ever be spoken from the pulpit. Even if this building was filled to capacity with chairs in the aisles every Lord's Day, I must bow my head in humiliation knowing that the greatest preaching that any of us is ever allowed to do is the simple fellowship of every day with individual men and women. The power of our public influence, that is the way we preach. So let's bring this down where we live right now. What kind of preaching are you doing today with your life? Are there changes that need to be made? It's the Lord's invitation as we stand and while we sing.